I really liked the way he talked about sharing sort of insights along the way, letting people see the user along the way. And then most people would draw a lot of the same conclusions he was drawing at the end. And I thought that was really sort of a thoughtful uh, strategy overall. Like, I, I remember that conversation thinking, like, there's so many things I do in my life. I would do better if I did it this way, where I'm sort of bringing people along with me um, versus trying to surprise him in the end. So I thought that was really a thoughtful way to think about getting that same empathy aligned across the organization along the way. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today we're recapping our fifth season of the Human Insight Podcast. Maybe the biggest change to the podcast this season you might have noticed is that we started including into our episodes more clips from our opt-in contributor network. These are people from around the world responding to questions we asked either related to that episode's guest or topic or to our current news event or trend. Yeah, I love that we did this. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a little while now. Uh, These clips are things that we call customer experience narratives. Um, It's really this idea of someone else sharing their perspective and their thoughts. Um, And I think it really makes for interesting content as part of the podcast. So I hope we continue to do that and find other interesting ways to sort of make that uh, part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I love that we did that too. I think my favorite one was the question that we asked people about if they had to get a tattoo of a brand, what would that be? Um, It was really interesting to hear people's thought processes around that. Um, But yeah, I'm excited that we've introduced that and can continue to uh, interweave that type of feedback and perspective into our shows. And, you know, in many of the episodes, as well as in our book, User Tested, we've talked about the rising importance of customer experience with any product or service. And, you know, over the years, this has become... I think uh, Gartner calls it the the battlefield for how customers, excuse me, for how companies uh, get and retain customers. And if you look at some of the Google search trends for the last 10 years, the phrase customer experience has increased 400%. And from this insight segment, we asked our contributors, what does customer experience mean to them? So, you know, companies think about customer experience a certain way, but what do actual customers and people think customer experience means. And here's what they had to say. What does customer experience mean to you and why? Um, To me, that would just mean a customer of any sort of service, whether that's like retail or sales um, or restaurant or just any service that you might be booking online, whether that's travel or hospitality um, or, you know, haircut survey, I mean, anything at all, what is the experience of the person who is purchasing that service? Customer experience to me means how the user or client customer feels about the entire process engaging with the company. So it's ultimately about all of the different steps in the interaction with the company or the purchase and how the user satisfaction is impacted by all of those things. Because the focus has shifted to the customer since there are a lot of products and services on the market. So it is a customer market. Good customer experience for me is recently 
I had bought a product that was to a multi-charge station for an Apple Watch, AirPods, as well as my iPhone. And after about three months, the product stopped working as um, advertised. And when I contacted the company, not only did they reply immediately and offered to replace the product, when they realized they did not have the exact model in stock, they offered me a refund and the refund was pro processed uh, immediately on my card the same day. That took a negative experience and actually left me feeling quite positive in how they handled it. And I would still buy their products again, even though the product I had initially bought didn't work. The fact that they were willing to immediately refund me and resolve the situation means that I'm still comfortable buying from that company in the future. And the speed with which all the interactions were handled really left me with a positive experience of the company. I recently booked uh, a vacation on booking.com. That's a platform. And I had an issue with the app and I contacted them and they resolved my issue within like two minutes. Uh, it was very easy, uh, very friendly, and I got quick feedback. The bonus point was that I got emails afterwards confirming everything we did. So it's just an example of how things, um, yeah, make you feel well informed where you are in the process. Bad customer experience for me. The worst thing is that something that doesn't work, but also affect affects to some of the things. I took a flight today. Um, it was on time, but then the next train was delayed, so I didn't make it to the second train that I had to take. And that that thing is horrible. So when you have one of those experiences in which you have a bad experience, um, but the previous and next could be okay, but just because of this bad experience, your whole day is ruined. Uh, ruined. Um, then I think that's the worst thing. Yeah, so ultimately, I think the customer experience is shaped primarily by how efficient the process is for the customer, how easy it is to engage with the company, find what they're looking for, and how the company handles any customer service interactions, how efficient they are, and how helpful they are with the customer. Even if there is a negative experience, if it's handled in the right way, that person is still likely to have a positive experience with the company and in future still utilize their service or buy products from them. Um, I mean, I think my takeaways from listening to that uh, is that the consumer is very smart <laughs> about what the customer experience is. seems like they're very well informed about what's good and bad. They can sort of speak to their personal examples, but also recognize that they know that companies are aware the customer experience is important. It's like this really interesting um, evolution of the customer. I think that they've just become smarter. I, I agree. And I think um, they also talked a lot about knowing that they had choice. I mean, they all sort of had this view of like, well, if I didn't like this thing, I wasn't going to use it anymore. I can just go somewhere else. I can buy from somebody different. I can buy from them again. I mean, I grew up in, uh, I wouldn't say rural, rural areas, but like not mega cities. And you sort of had to buy from what was in town and just a very different sense of sort of an empowered consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Did any of their stories spark a good or bad experience that you've had recently, Andy? You know, I would say it was interesting to me how much response time played a role. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say that that to me has become an interesting one because I know like the airlines, for example, have been really struggling with capacity issues in sort of every aspect of their business. And so it's hard when it's like, well, I'm calling because flights were canceled because the airports were too busy, but then I can't get somebody on the phone to talk to them. So I've been through a couple of those trying to travel this summer. 
with brands that I've worked with before that I think are pretty good brands. Um, and it's been interesting how quickly that trust erodes when you just kind of can't talk to somebody and can't get your your problem solved. Um, the flip side is I had an experience with a credit card that was completely the opposite, where I had one of those like, oh, no, like somebody took my credit card number and this is going to be a giant pain. And it was like the phone rang, I think, twice. Somebody picked it up, solved my problem in three minutes. And like, it was amazing. And just it kind of went from this feeling of dread of like, this is going to be so hard. Um, I think that's true, too, of a lot of these digital experiences lately. I've, I've had a couple of um, interactions with the California state government online, uh, renewing little things here and there. And uh, they've really got that dialed in. Like, I'm finding it to be remarkably easy to go into the California government website and, and renew things and, and pay taxes and stuff like that. So that's been nice. How about you? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you you are anticipating that something's going to be really hard or take a lot of time. And so you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And then when you call to figure it out and it gets resolved in a couple of minutes, it's like the best surprise in the world, right? And sometimes I think it's almost like we've been conditioned, right? To like have not great experience, especially when you're when you're doing kind of customer service or support. And I think a lot of those experiences have changed. You don't always have to call in anymore. You can use chat, you can do it over email. So, I mean, I think I can, I can definitely relate to, to what you just shared. I was reminded though of that person who was that, that guy who was talking about how he missed one train and then it, it caused him or his one train was late and it caused him to miss his second train. That happened to me recently I'll spare you all the details, but I ended up missing that second connection, connecting flight. And then it was the the drama of sitting on hold with the airline for hours and hours and hours before I could resolve it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's things that uh, just based on those uh, stories that we heard from those four or five people, there are things that I think everyone can relate to both good and bad experiences. Yeah, one of the ones I know with the airlines in travel that's interesting is how often the data in the app doesn't necessarily represent the reality on the ground. And you hear folks say, look, look, I'm relying on this app and you're telling me it's on time and I'm at the gate and it's like, it's not going anywhere. Like, I think that kind of customer experience is pretty strange in this day and age. Uh, and then there's definitely the inverse. I mean, I think a lot of the financial services stuff now um, has gotten, I mean, it's it's real time. Like, it's, it's pretty... Uh, pretty incredible how, how those things work. I find the same uh, with a couple of the online retailers, you know, you send an email and somebody like 10 minutes later is like, yeah, put it in a box and send it back and don't worry about the packaging. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, okay, that's great. Totally. All right. So in addition to those CXNs that we shared throughout, we, we also um, had some great uh, folks on season uh, five of the Human Insight podcast. You know, one of our, our early episodes of the season was with uh, C. Todd Lombardo. And he was talking a lot about, you know, as a vice president of product and design, how does he bring other people along for the ride when he's creating product, when he's gathering customer feedback, when he's using that information to make informed decisions? And what was interesting was his advice around bringing people along in a very sort of like practical and pragmatic way. Yeah, we have, I think one of the, one of the rules in product research rule is like insights are best shared and sort of the, the subtle, the subtext rule is never write a report, right? You don't want to just write this big, long report and just send it around and say, here, go read this. Cause one, they're really ever read, but part of it is how do you make, how do you bring people along for the ride? How do you bring them along in the journey in some way? Can you involve them before even just the insights are generated? Right. So, and, and I've 
so I'll take the example of a design sprint uh, uh, because it, it sort of nicely encapsulates to some degree. How do you involve an executive in design sprint? That that was a question I got hurt, uh, get asked a lot after I wrote that book. It's like, well, first include them and in, in just like the first half hour of the first day of when you're doing your assumption storming and, and trying to understand the problem you're solving, getting that context. I was like, you only need them there for the first part so that they have the opportunity to co-create with you and, and shape the problem you're trying to solve. Then bring them in again at the end of the third day when you've gotten your sketches ready and you before you start prototyping, like, hey, these are the solutions we think we're going to try and build and prototype and test. And then bring them in again at the end of the last day and say, hey, look, we tested this and these are some of the videos from our conversations. These are some of the things we learned, right? So you've brought them along the way and it's not like they just showed up at the end and said, you know, here's what we got. They've actually have more visibility into the whole journey. So I think that's that's the hard part sometimes is obviously all leaders and executives are busy, but how do you find the way to to include them, right? It's that ask, at, the ask of being co-creative to some degree, and can you get their input along the way and bring them along that journey? That's probably the best, most effective. It's hard, it's, a lot, it's not as easy, but that's probably the best way I've seen teams do that. It just seemed really uh, straightforward and practical. And, and it's like, it made me think like, why aren't more teams doing this? Um, did you have any thoughts on that? I, I feel like what I really enjoyed about the conversation with him, I, I think you're right a little bit. Um, sometimes the most obvious things are things that we're not able to do, but he sort of had this mindset of, if I can just along the way, share with people what I'm seeing, they'll get to some of the same conclusions I get to. And yet we don't seem to do that. Most people are like, I did a bunch of work. I didn't tell anybody about it. Then I wrote this big report of this big, like thud factor thing I thought would change everybody's minds. And nobody was sort of ready to receive that. And so I really liked the way he talked about um, sharing sort of insights along the way, letting people see the user along the way. And then most people would draw a lot of the same conclusions he was drawing at the end. And I thought that was really sort of a thoughtful uh, strategy overall. Like I, I remember that conversation thinking like, there's so many things I do in my life. I would do better if I did it this way, where I'm sort of bringing people along with me uh, versus trying to surprise them in the end. So I thought that was really um, a thoughtful way to think about sort of getting that same empathy aligned uh, across the organization along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about, Andy, is this idea that people connect with other people, other humans, and the stories that they're telling and how they experience the world and your product. And I think that was a perfect example of how powerful that is. You know, like you said, you can do a bunch of work. And if you don't bring people along, it's basically a game of telephone, right? It's like, okay, so Janelle said, the customer said, um, but when you can actually get that real customer in front of people, whether it's live or through a video recording, it just has such a different impact. And so I thought it was a great example of what we talk about a lot. Yes, for sure. I very much agree with that. Um, another guest we had this this season, so her name was Bobby Wood. And um, what she has is uh, the UX Content Collective. Do you think most companies inherently understand the value of having good content good writing and, you know, vetting design with, with actual humans? I do. The smart ones and the successful ones, at least, right? You ignore your customer and your research at your own peril. And um, these days, you know, UX has very much proven its return on investment. Like the value is very clear. Um, companies who listen to customers and respond to customers and build for customers to solve problems are really the ones that are succeeding. 
And what I loved about this episode is that I'm actually weirdly a content slash writing geek. Um, and when I was at Nielsen Norman Group, I used to give a two day course on writing for the web. And it was all about, you know, how do you structure content? How do you do good headlines? How do you do good headings? How do you chunk content correctly? What's the right type of font to use? What do you put on little, you know, what do you put on calls to actions and buttons to get people to engage? And it was like, you know, this, again, like you think usability testing and like user research is really specific. Like this is super niche. And so it was really nice to meet her and talk with her. And she's got a whole army of people that work with companies around how to develop good content and how to, um, you know, show up on social networks, how to do what we call micro copy, which is the little pieces of content that make people convert. I mean, I feel like I'm gushing over uh, this episode just because I, I just, I recognize the importance and how critical it is. And it was so great to see somebody else with a big team kind of tackling some of the same challenges. Yeah. I thought that episode was incredible because, um, I think it's one of the ones best ones that have been on the the flow before. Um, I thought the two of you had a conversation really is, is experts in an area, but at a level that I think was really accessible to anybody um, and really took something. I love when things that are very deep can also be something that the average person can sort of listen to and go like, Oh, that's really fascinating how deep that could go and why that's valuable. And I thought the two of you did a really nice job in that conversation, sort of taking something uh, that goes deep, but not making it uh, complicated or overly industry centric. Like I thought that was a really compelling discussion in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think content is one of those things that it's been important since the beginning of time. And regardless of, you know, what you're trying to communicate and the media that you're using, there's certain things to keep in mind, but there are certain like tried and true best practices for great writing and uh, making it so people can, speaking of accessibility, access it and it's, and it's super approachable. Um, that being said, you know, I, I think we kind of, um, you know, oscillated a little bit this season with concepts that are very sort of foundational, right? Bringing people along with research and customer feedback, you know, thinking about content strategy and writing as one of the core components of your user experience. I think we also kind of went on the other side of things, which was more around the, you know, forward-looking trends and things that are new to the world of customer experience in some sense. So Ethan Song was um, someone that we brought on and he was, he's really focused on building uh, deeper web three relationships between creators and their fans. And he had some really interesting perspectives around NFTs and how that whole experience is going to sort of just start to show up and perhaps even has already shown up in some of the, um, you know, companies that customers engage with. Did you have any thoughts on, on his episode, Andy? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny, you know, NFTs have sort of had like their wild run up and, uh, you know, they're they're having a tough week this week and while we're recording this episode. And by the time this episode comes out, like who knows where NFTs will be at on that whole spectrum. But I thought Ethan had a really compelling point of view on um, not just like why NFTs are interesting or, or how they might tie into parts of our experiences, but I really liked the way he talked about um, the like the community and how it connects with people. Like I thought there were some uh, parts of that episode that really transcended the specificity of NFTs and sort of more broadly into like, how does emerging tech connect with people? And so 
Uh, I, I both thought the conversation specifically around NFTs was interesting, but I also thought sort of a, a slightly more meta conversation that was happening just around how does emerging tech, listening to somebody who's in emerging tech, talk about how to connect with people. Uh, I thought all of that was was quite interesting in that episode. Yeah, I completely agree. And I thought some of the points that he made around um, <clears throat> integrating some of these offerings into things like companies' loyalty programs and thinking about how this, uh, you know, it, it can transcend beyond things like NFTs. But how, how do you, you know, integrate some of these new technologies and new offerings into pl- into places where people already are? And I think that that was a really interesting um, concept that that he laid out for us. Who is the product for, and who, what are the different instances of the product for? Um, and I always say that you never truly find product to market fit, meaning that it's a continuous battle, and it's a continuous battle because the product market fit happens at a different level for different segmentation of your user base. Um, so that that's one piece that I always recommend is really think about segmentation and understanding that you may have a few different customers, and how do you service them properly? Uh, and get feedback properly that's actionable. Uh, but the second piece is also insight. I, I do think that, especially in a new space like Web3 and NFT, your your greatest product may not have been created yet, right? Your your most important insight may most likely has not come yet. And therefore, you have to be open to that next level of insight. Um, and, and a lot of that will actually come from your power users um, because... You know, as a creator of a product, you may actually use your product less than your users. Most likely that's the case. And, and so understanding that uh, they may have more insight and, and finding a way to get to that answer also, right? Like just asking questions doesn't always deliver the value that you think will deliver. And so finding ways to get to the, the real answer, I think, is extremely important. Another great guest we had, uh, Dan uh, Meisner, and he is an expert on podcasts which was super fun for him to get his perspective because, you know, we think about this podcast quite a bit and spend a lot of time on it. And so getting his perspective on things like, you know, I think I was grilling him on whether or not it's, you know, it makes sense to have podcasts that where, where it's a video podcast versus an audio podcast. And of course, there's no right answer there. So if you, you want to learn more about that, certainly tune in to the episode. It's episode 39. Um, but what I loved about what he shared with us was that, he talked about how your podcast needs to communicate something that only you can communicate. Like what is your unique sort of perspective or expertise or value prop that you can provide to your listeners? Only we is the idea that podcasters of all stripes should make the show that they are uniquely suited to make. What is the show that only we could make? What is the show that nobody else could make, even if they wanted to? And so in other facets of life, this might be framed as what's your unfair advantage, right? And sometimes the only we is a result of access that you have, right? Here are the guests that we can get that nobody else can get. Sometimes the only we is about a point of view or a worldview. Sometimes the only we is about subject matter expertise. I'm not here to tell you what your only we is, but this is your moat. There are so many shows out there that are effectively the same show as everybody else's show. 
what is the show that only you could make? So from an editorial standpoint, I love Only We because it's a really, really clear lens. Could somebody else make this show and would it be the same? If the answer is yes, <laughs> I don't think your show is designed especially well. And I, I really thought that was really compelling and something for us to continually think about. And, you know, as we introduce things like contributor videos and unique content that only we can provide, it, it sort of um, got me excited about the future of what we could do with this podcast. Yeah, I uh, I thought that one was really interesting because we had just had a conversation after season four about uh, maybe to how we opened this little wrap up about what do we do that's a little bit different going forward and should we uh, be bringing the voice of, of more consumers and contributors into it with our CXNs and how do we do that? And we were really trying to think about what could we do to be compelling and unique? And then this first episode was really on that, that topic. And so I, I agree. I think it's sort of... Um, in some ways, it almost felt like Dan was in the room with us while we were trying to figure that out. But then he had some really interesting perspectives on why that's important and how to think about that. And I really like the framing of, um, you know, as you said, if, if someone else did the show instead of you, would it be the same? And if so, maybe it's not that only we strategy centric. And I thought that's a really interesting framing question. I find framing questions like that to be uh, a good way to really push your thinking on a topic. And so I thought that episode did a good job of highlighting that. Um, for podcasting and probably for lots of other things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a wrap on season five. Again, thank you to all our listeners of the podcast, wherever you may be. And thanks to all our guests for making time for us and for sharing their stories. We're going to be launching season six in September. And if you have an insight you want us to investigate or a guest that you recommend, please email us at podcast at usertesting.com. And until then, you can go back and listen to any of the past episodes of the Human Insight Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks. Thanks.